This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. One of the greatest challenges emerging therapies face is being able to reach the tissues and cells in the body where they need to go to provide benefit. Rather than using viral vectors or lipid nanoparticles, Evox is harnessing exosomes, a natural transporter within the body, to carry therapeutic cargo to desired targets. The company has developed platform technology to modify exosomes so it can load therapeutic cargo into them to reach desired organs, the central nervous system, and intractable tissue. We spoke to Tony DeFigueroles, CEO of Evox Therapeutics, about exosomes, the company's platform technology, and how it's using this approach to target a range of rare diseases. Tony, thanks for joining us. Very nice to be here. We're going to talk about exosomes, Evox Therapeutics, and how it's seeking to harness these extracellular vesicles as vectors for therapeutic targets that are difficult to reach. Perhaps we can start with the challenges of delivering RNA therapeutics to various cells. What are the challenges that Evox is seeking to address? Yeah, no, it's, look, it's a great question. And, you know, just, uh, you know, as you think about RNA therapeutics, right, um, and you think of all of the advances that, that have happened over the last five, 10 years, you know, particularly thinking about things like small interfering RNA, uh, we've all heard of mRNA technology, all of those are in a therapeutics, and this even extends into gene editing technologies. All of them really uh, rely or need to get those RNA drugs inside cells, right? And so that's really been the, cha- the challenge. When those technologies were first developed, and I've been fortunate to have a hand in developing a bunch of those from the ground up, it, it was about how, how do you make the drug and how do you design it, uh, and also how you deliver it. That first p- question, how you design them is, you know, by and large, you know, largely solved. And so it comes back to this other question of how do you effectively and safely deliver a whole variety of these genetic medicines to various parts of the body, right? So um, if you think about it as an example, mRNA, been super successful in a vaccine context, but has had much more limited success in using mRNA as an actual therapeutic, because it can only really, at the moment, be successfully delivered 
to one or two types of cells. Uh, likewise, with other drugs such as art and the interference, where there are now three or four approved drugs all delivering that SIRNA drug to a particular liver cell called the hepatocyte. Um, we could make a drug to all sorts of other targets to treat a variety of other diseases, but at the moment there's no way to really uh, get those drugs to other cells. And, and that's what we're doing at Evox, is we've developed this delivery platform, if you want to call it, uh, using exosomes. And we'll talk a bit more about what they are and, and so forth, uh, that enables us to get all of these genetic medicines into the exosome. And, and by using the exosome, we can now deliver these to a variety of different cell types that are at the moment inaccessible. And so that really then opens up all of these genetic medicines to far greater use, right? And, 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 and that's in essence what we're doing from an EVOX perspective. Well, what are exosomes and what role do they play in, in biology? Yeah, no, so, you know, so, so we've talked about why we're doing it, the problem we're trying to solve. Um, you know, what exosomes are is they're small vesicles, uh, you know, anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred nanometers in size. And they're, 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 they're if you want, little spheres uh, that are, you know, constantly being secreted by cells, right? And, and it really represents the cell packaging a bunch of protein RNA molecules excreting it and using it as a means to communicate with other cells, right? So it's really how cells talk to each other. And, and, and this is a natural mechanism that occurs on a daily basis. So in our bodies, every cell will probably typically make five to 10,000 exosomes per day per cell. And so these exosomes containing RNA pro, uh, and protein molecules are circulating and really getting taken up, produced by one cell, and then getting taken up by recipient cells and providing that recipient cell with, you know, some of this information. And, and it's a system, as I mentioned, conserved from not only humans, down into rodents, down into plant and fruit species. So wherever you have an organism with more than one cell, this is how cells talk to each other. And, uh, you know, so you can kind of think of it, think about it as the body's FedEx system, right? Where it's delivering packages, messages, uh, safely, effectively from one cell to another cell. If we think about exosomes as vectors, to what extent can they be engineered to target specific cells within the body or have other features added? Yeah, and, and you know, that's really where, if you want, a lot of the genesis of what we're doing at EVOX uh, comes from is, you know, there's this natural communication delivery system, right? So call it nature's lipid nanoparticle system. Uh, and we'll talk more about how that might differ. Um, but what we've been able to do at EVOX is really understand how cells decide what to put into an exosome and what not to put in it. And it's it's a very deliberate process cells use to, to say, okay, I'm gonna put this 
in, I'm not going to put that in, uh, using that knowledge, we can load actively, you know, get cells to load our drug of choice, right? And that's how we load all of these genetic medicines is using some of that information. And with that information, we, we can target drugs to be loaded in, into exosomes or in some cases on the surface of ex, exosomes. And we can even do multiple, load multiple things at once. Now, now um, you know, where we can engineer them, you know, not only can we engineer them to contain our, our drug of choice, but we can also decide to display particular proteins or ligands on the surface of an exosome so that when the cell produces it and secretes it out into the environment, that exosome will now have, if you want a ligand or, or, or and it could be an antibody fragment, it could be a peptide, it could be a variety of things, uh, which will then preferentially target that exosome to a cell type that has, if you want the cognate uh, receptor, right? So it's a little bit like, putting a zip code onto an envelope, right? So, you know, you're using FedEx or the mail system, but the zip code's really what's directing it to the right location. And so we can engineer exosomes to have, you know, enhanced tropism for certain cell types or certain tissues, and we can do it through this engineered approach. The other thing we, we, we've understood as well is that, the cell type that's making the exosome can also naturally have its own tropism. So if we make exosomes from two different types of cells, they they can go to different places in the body just as a consequence of, of the cell that they were originated from, right? So there are really two ways that we can engineer that targeting. One is by picking the cell type that's producing the exosome and making use of a natural tropism. And the other is a more engineered uh, way where we're expressing particular ligands or receptors on the exosome that then preferentially direct it to our target cell. And and we've done this uh, and we're doing this in the context of delivering exosomes across the blood brain barrier to the central nervous system. We've, we've done this in the past to deliver exosomes to muscle. Uh, we're also doing it to deliver exosomes to tumors or to immune cells. But in theory, this could be used to really target exosomes to any cell type within the body. What's the range of payloads these exosomes can carry? And are there size limits that discount their use in certain cases? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, again, um, you know, you know, we've, we can engineer them and, and we have a variety of ways to do this, uh, where we can load everything ranging from proteins, small molecules, small RNA drugs that can contain whole AAV genomes, gene editing components, and that can include multiple components, or we can even do longer RNA drugs like messenger RNA. Now, you know, there doesn't appear to be a size limit to the the size of the drug that we can load, Um, you know, and, you know, for certain drugs, you know, we can load these at extremely high copy numbers. For instance, for small R 
MA drugs, we can typically load 1,000 to 2,000 of these drugs per exosome. For proteins, it tends to be several hundred copies of a protein per exosome. And in other cases, it's obviously fewer molecules because oftentimes they tend to be larger. Um, but obviously, the better loading efficiency we have, then the lower number of exosomes are needed to have a, ther a ther therapeutic effect. You were founding chief scientific officer at Moderna and an inventor of the mRNA chemistry and liquid nanoparticle delivery technology that formed the basis of the company's COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. How do exosomes compare to lipid nanoparticles? What advantages might they offer? Yeah, no, look, it's, it's, it's a great question. And again, it's, it's really great to see a bunch of that technology that we developed at Moderna over 10 years ago now, uh, you know, kind of come into uh, what I would say is widespread use, right? Um, and, and, and mRNA really, as, as you mentioned, relies on these lipid nanoparticle delivery systems. And that's something that, you know, some of the original work I, I was also fortunate in developing uh, while I was with Al Nylum and with folks like Peter Cullis at, at UBC. Um, and lipid nanoparticles are, if you want, a synthetic man-made nanoparticle, roughly the same size as exosomes. They contain three or four components, but mechanistically, they operate very differently than exosomes. The way lipid nanoparticles act, uh, you know, they're a particle, they get taken up by cells like exosomes, but they seem to traffic to a different part of the cell. They go into what's called an endosome, which is if you want, where the body often, if things come in that aren't natural, will we'll, we'll bring stuff in and then decide what to do with it. it it's a bit of a protective um, uh, hold, you know, holding pen, for lack of a better word, for, for these things. And, and what the lipid nanoparticle does is as part of that internalization process, it um, you know, changes shape a little bit and it disrupts these internal compartments called endosomes. And that's what really allows these, these kind of materials like mRNA and siRNA to get inside cells. Now, now, now that endosome is, is filled with immune sensors, right? Because this is how really the cells are sorting out what, what can be led and what can't be. And obviously, um, the LMPs, in, by virtue of how they work, tend to be toxic to cells, right? And so that's why you have to introduce chemical modifications into mRNA molecules, uh, partly to avoid the immune system from recognizing them as foreign. Um, but it means whenever you use lipid nanoparticles, you, you, you get some, some, some not insignificant side effects. In the context of a vaccine, that's relatively manageable if you're only giving one or two doses. Um, you know, but obviously in the context of a therapeutic, you may need to give multiple doses over and over again. And, and, and so that poses some potential risk. On the other hand, you know, exosomes seem to get into cells as well, but because it's a natural mechanism that's constantly in use, it's a bit like going through the back door, right? You don't have all of these 
defenses up and you were able to deliver all of these genetic medicines uh, through a natural mechanism that really appears to be safe and non-immunogenic. So one difference is that immunogenicity and the fact that we're able to deliver payloads really in a safe way, whereas lipid nanoparticles through their mechanism of disrupting this endosome tend to be quite toxic. The other piece is that because um, exosomes have a plethora of things on their surface, they, they tend not to home to a particular cell type, but it also means that you can now direct them to multiple cell types, whereas lipid nanoparticles, one of the reasons they're very successful is they get taken up by hepatocytes and by macrophages very effectively. And, and, and that's really where their use has been limited, right? Uh, but it also means it's very difficult to skew those lipid nanoparticles to other tissues uh, for a whole bunch of biologic reasons that we uncovered at Alnylam about 10, 12 years ago. We don't have that same limitation with exosomes. So we feel we can really deliver these to a range of new tissues in a way that at the moment is still uh, not possible with lipid nanoparticles. So a long-winded answer, but I hope that offers uh, some contrast. So it's safety, non-immunogenicity, and the ability to target exosomes to new tissues in a way that you can't with lipid nanoparticles. Evox has identified three internal programs on which it's working. These address three different rare genetic disorders that involve enzyme deficiencies. Two are urea cycle disorders, and the third, phenylketonuria, is a metabolic disorder that results in an inability to break down proteins prevalent in food. It would seem these conditions all involve liver enzymes. The liver is an accessible target today for nucleic acid delivery. Why start with these conditions, which on its face wouldn't seem to benefit from the ability to use exosomes to target hard-to-reach cells? Yeah, no, look, it, it's it's a good question. And obviously you are correct that all of the all all of these target the liver. But I think the important thing to remember here is that these enzymes themselves all need to be delivered either into the cell membrane, like N, NPC or Neiman pick type C, or inside the cell cytoplasm, like is the case for some of the urea cycle disorders or for PKU. And so, you know, at the moment, you know, that's really difficult to do with other technologies. You can deliver uh, things like short interfering RNA inside cells. But that's only really useful to, to, to turn off expression of something. What we're doing here is using exosomes to deliver functional copies of all of these enzymes to correct the deficiency uh, that these patients have. So really at the moment, there's really no good way to really deliver a gain of function into this cytoplasm. Longer term, I think what we're working on are a range of ways we can target exosomes to new cell types. And, and that's what we're working on with Eli Lilly, where we're using exosomes to deliver small interfering R and they drugs into the brain via a systemic route of administration. And that's why we're working on targeting exosomes to a variety 
of if you want non-liver cell types. But obviously, even in the context of the liver, with certain of these uh, sorts of approaches, there's still a huge unmet need because there really is no good way to get some of these enzymes into the uh, cells, e either in the membrane of cells or in the cytoplasm of, of, of cells. Oh, what's the development path forward for your pipeline? Yeah, so you know, as, as you mentioned, we're working on a variety of things. I think our lead program at the moment is the fennel ketonuria program, as you mentioned. This is a rare disease, but it affects actually tens of thousands of patients. Uh, so it, in, in the U.S. and, you know, Europe. So it's not that that rare. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, these patients lack the ability to convert uh, phenylalanine, which is an amino acid. Um, and so the, the path forward there is, you know, we've developed a, a range of data around this program where we're using uh, gene therapy uh, that expresses the enzyme in, in, in its functional form. Uh, so the goal is to use exosomes to deliver this gene therapy uh, to basically correct the disease. The sorts of lead candidates we have now, it's still in preclinical testing, but they appear to be 10, 20, possibly more fold, uh, more potent than other AAV gene therapy compounds that are in clinical trials. So, so we have something in with this PKU program, it's, it's using exosomes to deliver gene therapy that encodes for the enzyme, again, 10 to 20 fold more, more potent we think it can be far more effective. It can allow uh, repeat dosing and can be non-immunogenic and allow us to treat every patient. At the moment, only about two thirds of patients could even take gene therapy for, uh, you know, due to some pre-existing antibodies that exist to that AAV. So, so you know, we're we're in the process of finalizing the development candidate and then completing optimization of the manufacturing kind of purification process. And again, the, you know, the goal for that program is to file uh, the necessary paperwork called the CTA filing or in the US and IND filing, uh, you, know, you know, file a CTA uh, towards the end of 2024 for that program. You touched on one of your collaborations earlier. I, I wanna talk about those for a moment. You announced two that I'm aware of. The first is with Takeda, a uh, five-target rare disease-focused agreement. Walk us through that. Yeah, so both the you know Takeda and the Lilly deals, and we'll we, we, you know we can talk about both of them uh, are multi-target deals. Uh, you know both you know five kind of targets. Takeda are really interested in rare disease, and they're interested in using exosomes to deliver either protein or mRNA payloads. Um, and again, um, you, know, you know, these are uh, things where the exosome can offer real advantages over what's out there. You know, we focused on Neiman Pick Type C as one of those programs. We've done work with them on another program, which unfortunately we can't talk too, too much about. But basically we do most of the preclinical exosome design and testing, and then they will take over as we get closer to the clinic. 
For the Lilly collaboration, it's again a multi-target deal. Uh, as we had talked a bit before, it's using exosomes, loading them with this type of drug called small interfering RNA drugs that can silence or turn off um, production of particular uh, you know genes on a temporary basis. And we're using exosomes to deliver these drugs into the central nervous system, into the brain, but doing it via a systemic route of administration, which at the moment is impossible to do at all. And so this is really a, a, a long-term project. If it works, it's gonna open up this whole new, new class of drug to a variety of neurologic diseases. And so obviously we're working with Lilly, on 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 a range of these they're providing the sir and a drug we are loading those into exosomes engineering the exosomes to to improve their ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and ultimately um if that's successful uh, you know as we get closer to going into the clinic and and, and trial testing then lily will take over at that point the company has described both of these collaborations as transformative. What makes them so? Yeah, so what's transformative is obviously uh, with Lilly, for instance, the ability to deliver these sorts of drugs into the central nervous system uh, via a systemic route of administration, which means intravenous or subcutaneous delivery is that that is at the moment impossible and it's one of the holy grails of all uh pharmaceutical development or or the drug industry is how do you get things across the blood brain bar barrier so obviously if we can do it with this type of drug class that in and of itself is transformative uh because it now opens up a whole slew of diseases uh, that, you know, things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and a variety of things that you could potentially treat. Uh, but it also opens up the possibility of using that same technology to deliver other types of drugs, if it's, you know, gene therapy or, or, or so forth, using the same type of approach. The company raised about $95 million in 2021 in a Series C financing. How far will that take you? And what's the plan for raising additional capital? Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, obviously we raised that about 18 months ago. Um, you know, that really uh, extends our cash runway into the first half of 2025. So we're in a very fortunate position to have a very healthy uh, runway per se. It allows us to move not only our own programs, but our partner programs forward. Um, you know, we will likely do an additional financing sometime, you know, over the next 12 to 15 months. Uh, but again, as, as, as I said, we've got, you know, more, more than two years of uh, cash to, to move forward. And again, all of that um, is really making, you know, no assumptions about new business development deals or milestone payments, et cetera, that we get from our existing partners. So it's very much a uh, worst case scenario, much more likely um, is that we will also be able to raise uh, some additional non-dilutive capital 
um, over the next 12 months as well. But very likely, as I said, we'll, we, we will want to raise some, some amount more in the next 12 to 15 months. Tony DeFugaral, CEO of Evox Therapeutics. Tony, thanks so much for your time today. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.